Oh, church, how I wish I could see your faces in front of me as I speak to you today. What very strange times we're all living through. But I don't know about you, I feel um, really connected to everyone, even still through this amazing technology that we have, through the love that we have for each other and occasional sightings on these distance walks. I am Jo. I'm married to Sean, who is the vicar here, and I'd like to pray before we get going. Father God, I thank you for our church family. I thank you that you are holding us together through this time. I thank you that you have your beautiful creation in your hands and for the hope that we can have because of your love. Help us to engage today. Help us to be responsive to what you're asking of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are marking Eco Church Sunday. And you may be wondering, whatever next? Crafting Church Sunday? Pacifist Church Sunday? Feminist Church Sunday? I'm going to be looking at three characteristics of an Eco Church from our Romans reading that will hopefully clear things up a bit for you. But before I do, I'd like to tell you a bit of my story and why I'm the person speaking to you on this topic. When I was five, my parents joined an overseas mission organisation and we moved to Portugal. In my mind, that didn't sound quite exotic enough, so I told all my little friends we were moving to Iberia, which was technically true, although um, barely anyone refers to Spain and Portugal as Iberia. They weren't going to evangelise, to plant churches, to translate the Bible or any other of the more traditional missionary activities. They were going to live out God's creation mandate to care for his world by working to protect a vulnerable area of wetland on a key bird migration route. In the early 1980s, this was a very novel concept and they were asked many a time whether they were going to convert the birds. People always think their jokes have been um, their own original <laughs> invention. The organisation they founded, Arosha, is now active in 21 countries across five continents. It carries out community conservation projects, scientific studies, environmental education for churches, universities and school children, and it works to protect endangered habitats and species all in God's name and for his glory. On June the 1st, I started working for Arosha International as Head of Communications, and here we are. So what is an eco-church? I'm not going to talk about the eco-church scheme that we've recently signed up to as a church. Carolyn Scriven is going to tell you a bit more about that later. I want to come at the question from a wider angle. Because I believe that any church that reflects the biblical picture of what a church should be is an eco-church. This is not a matter of quirky special interests or an attempt to be um, a church with a USP um, that makes us stand out from other churches. It goes to the heart of who we are and what we are for as church. So the first characteristic then. A redeemed relationship with creation. 
The first characteristic of an eco-church is that it understands its redeemed relationship not just to God or to each other between people, but with the whole of creation. When we read Romans 8, um, and I wonder if this is true for you, um, we often zero in on what it says about humanity, our sufferings, our hope for freedom and glory. But that's only part of the picture. The creation waits in eager expectation, says verse 19. The creation was subjected to frustration in verse 20. The creation itself will be liberated, verse 21. And the whole creation has been groaning, in verse 22. Paul was writing during what is now known as the Holocene, around 12,000 years of climate stability which enabled humans to invent agriculture, settle down and develop great civilizations. Some seasons the rain didn't come, or too much came and there were floods. Disease struck herds and blighted crops. Species were overhunted and became extinct. Creation has suffered along with humanity ever since the fall. But we're in new territory now. Since the 1950s, the scale of human impact has tipped us into a whole other geolog geological epoch known as the Anthropocene. We have put life-giving systems under intolerable stress. Our burning of fossil fuels has led to an unprecedented concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The safe levels are thought to be around 350 parts per million, and we're at 400 and rising. This is leading to a hotter, drier climate and rising sea levels. Globally, we've already put well beyond the safe limit of synthetic fertilizers into our rapidly eroding soils. And since 1970, the number of mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and fish has fallen by half. In looking for a way to express the kind of agony creation experiences, Paul reached for labour. Pretty much anyone who has given birth will tell you that the pangs of childbirth are a whole other world of pain. God hears the groaning of creation and he cares. His love extends to all he has made. His good intentions for redemption and eternal flourishing are for everything, not just people. So what does this have to do with us, with church? The biblical theologian Ellen Davis writes in her book, Getting Involved with God, the ecological crisis is essentially not a technological crisis, but a theological one. It is a massive disordering in our relationship with God, the creator of heaven and earth. She goes on to say, the disorienting and reorienting message of the Bible is simply stated, righteousness means living in humble, careful and godly relationship with the soil on which the life of every one of us wholly depends. It's a brilliant book, actually. I would recommend everyone read it. Getting involved with God, Ellen Davis. Secondly, um, second characteristic, a church that worships God through word and action is an eco-church. Most of us will have an understanding of worship that is broader than singing songs addressed to God. 
Worship is anything done from reverence or submission and obedience to God. And it extends to shaping our lives around God's character and God's priorities. God loves the poor and that's why as a church we worship him by caring for the poor. Specifically in our case by supporting CAP and the Namer Project among many others. God's heart is for the lost and that's why we run Alpha and do everything we can to share our faith and extend hospitality to those who don't know Jesus. God desires those who love him to love each other. And this is why as a church we worship him by supporting each other in need, meeting in small groups currently over Zoom and sharing life. So what would it look like for us if we also really understood our treatment of the world as an expression of worship? What would change if we saw the size of our carbon footprint as a measure of our love for Jesus? Or if we made food, travel, investment or housing choices out of a conscious desire to please God and honour what he holds dear? And the third characteristic of an eco-church is that it is a sign of hope to the world. We do not accept the narrative that the sinful, catastrophic abuse of the planet will inevitably lead to its destruction. Yes, there is present suffering, as it says in Romans, but there is also eager expectation for a coming glory. And we are full of hope for the redemption of our bodies, as it says in verse 23. Catch the significance of that. There's an internal future for embodied life. Physical matter is not the opposite of spiritual. Biblically understood, matter is the creation of God's spirit and so it's spiritual by very nature. When we know something has lasting value, we treat it differently. A man or woman, I guess, using a disposable razor is not going to worry about leaving it dirty and damp by the side of the sink or leaving it mouldering away at the bottom of his or her wash bag. If, however, he has a one-blade collector's edition black blade, retailing at a cool $2,500 at the moment, that he intends to pass on to his son, it's going to get more careful treatment. More so if he'd inherited it from his own father. The church is to live in the world in a way that demonstrates its lasting worth. Each small act of care and respect for creation is a statement of audacious hope. As each believer does the right thing with every small choice, the impact of our communal effort will transform the face of the earth. As many of you will know, there was a terrible accident in South Africa at the end of October last year, in which my mother and the executive director of Arosha and his wife were killed. This has been a time of great grief for the Naylor and the Harris families, as well as for the Arosha family worldwide. But we remain full of hope because our story arches towards the redemption and transformation of the world. And we're in the hands of a loving, faithful creator God who has great eternal plans for good. Chris and Susanna lived and worked for many years in Lebanon. The picture you can see is of the Amik wetland in the summer of 1997. Chris said about it, 
When we started working there, the sheep and the goats were grazing the marshes in their thousands. The hunters were shooting the birds out of the sky even as you went to visit. Picnickers were leaving rubbish which was catching in the reeds and the trees. The tenant farmers were pumping water through the summer to drain this precious resource. So it was hanging on by a thread. We felt very strongly with others to do something about it. We felt a call to write the gospel in the landscape, to recognise that our fantastic God loves this place, just as he loves the individuals and communities around it. He actually loves the place too. He loves the Bekar. He loves the marshes in the shadow of Mount Hermon, brooding with its snow-capped peak just to the south. And I love to think that Jesus might even have looked over the Bekar from Mount Hermon, and he would have seen 2,000 years ago this thriving wetland, and now he was grieving because it was so small and so damaged and so abused, and he wanted us with others to do something about it. This is the Bekar Valley in the summer of 2007. So what is an eco-church? An eco-church is one that lives out its redeemed relationship to all of creation. A church that worships by reflecting God's heart towards all that he has made. And a church that holds out hope, that teeters, um, hope to a world that teeters on the edge of despair. We've talked about things on a big scale and perhaps you're feeling somewhat overwhelmed or unsure what to do next. Maybe our first response should be repentance. Speaking for myself, I know this is an area of great failure, willful disobedience and denial. As with any kind of sin, we can come to our Father in full expectation of forgiveness and grace. And as Paul reminds us in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us through wordless groans. True repentance results in change. So let's also give some honest thought to what God might be calling us to do differently. I'm going to pray in closing. Father God, thank you for this beautiful, complex, intricate and awe-inspiring creation of yours. It tells us so much about who you are, your might and power, your care and concern, your exuberant creativity and joy. We are sorry, Lord, for behaving as though this world is our own personal resource to sap in pursuit of wealth and comfort. We're sorry for worshipping you with our mouths and not with our lives. Forgive us and lead us into a new way of living that honours you and enables the whole world to flourish. Amen. One thing that we are doing as a church, as I mentioned before, is working towards an eco-church award. Carolyn Scriven, who is taking the lead on this for us, is going to give us a bit more information and an update on where we're at now. Over to her. Hello everyone. This is just a quick update on our involvement in eco-church, a programme to help us care for creation and to live more sustainably. We signed up for this last year recognising that creation care is a vital part of our ministry and indeed urgent in the light of the climate emergency. 
While lockdown has had its limits, it's also helped us to see things differently. Many people now have a new appreciation for nature, for example, and less tolerance for pollution and waste. We also recognise, even more than we did, I think, the importance of caring for one another, especially those in need. Such awareness is exactly what EcoChurch seeks to foster, so that's encouraging. The EcoChurch website is a fantastic resource, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Anyone in our churches can register on the dedicated Holy Trinity page on the site to see the issues we are addressing. These range from how to lower our energy consumption to seeing the potential of our church grounds, from community partnerships to our personal lifestyles and worship. There's lots of scope for new ideas. Someone at the end of last year asked if we could put nesting boxes up for swifts on the church rooms because he was passionate about swifts and they're up there now. Speaking for myself, I have dusted the cobwebs off my bike and I hope it won't just be a summer phase. It would be great to keep our car use down. So the more ideas the better. With Eco Church, we are joining hundreds of other congregations all working to make a difference. The great thing to remember is we can make a difference by the grace of God because our hope is in Christ, the Saviour and Redeemer of the whole of creation.